series called Joyride, going through the book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, you can pull those out and go to the third chapter of Philippians. This is our ninth week in the book. We've only got two more weeks after this, and we will be finished with the book of Philippians. So if you want to read through chapter 4 in the week ahead and kind of get your mindset on, uh, on those things, that would be a good, a good thing to come prepared next week to talk about Philippians chapter 4. Today we're in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 12. How many of you, I've asked this before, and it's one of our favorite shows, one of our uh, most popular shows uh, that we watch on a regular basis. How many of you watch Big Bang Theory? Anybody? Any Big Bang Theory fans? So uh, it's one of our, one of our go-to shows when nothing else is on. We watch, watch the Big Bang Theory. On, on this show, uh, one of the main characters is Sheldon Cooper, and he's a genius, and he's a little eccentric. So he's really smart when it comes to things of science and really immature when it comes to everything else in life, pretty much. And uh, one of the things that he does uh, throughout the show, at least in a couple of episodes, is he has a list of mortal enemies. And so he kind of has this list that he started out on, on the old five and a quarter inch floppy drives. You remember those, the actual floppy disks? And he started it out um, on, this, on this floppy drive. And so this was back when he was a kid when he started making the list of his mortal enemies. And you know, I, don't, I don't know how many people are on it, but then he, he wanted to add somebody to the list. So he pulls out his, his floppy drive and um, it doesn't work. And so his floppy drive actually makes it on to the list of, of his mortal <laughs> enemies. But I know that's a little, uh, probably a little extreme for some of us, but probably all of us have experience in life having an enemy. We, we all have somebody that, that was on the other side of us, right? I mean, if you played sports, it was, it was that rival. It was the team that you played on a regular basis. For us, when we grew up at, at Jackson High School in Southeast Ohio, our rival was Wellston High School. And so every year there would be, you know, some kind of... Um, some kind of prank that, that happened between the two schools before our football game when, when we always won. I mean, most of the, probably like 80% of the time we won. <laughs> but they just, they still, uh, they had to get their revenge by putting things on our football field that you don't normally put on a football field. But um, I just won't go any further than that. But, you know, we, we had an arch enemy as a school, and that was, that was the Wellston Rockets, and we were the Jackson Iron Men because we had an iron mill in town, or there used to be one. wasn't there when I was going. But we all kind of, we, we have mortal enemies, right? We have enemies that we're, that we're used to uh, kind of being opposed to, and, and we go through life Kind of some of us may be building a longer list than others. We go through life building a list of, of, of people who have wronged us, people who have offended us, people who owe us something, and until they pay us what they owe us, they're going to stay on that list, on that side, and they're going to be our enemy. Well, this morning we're going to talk about enemies, and I'm just going to warn you um, off of the top that this probably will not be one of those fun sermons. It's not going to be one of those sermons that you write home about and uh, and uh, share the link with all your friends on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. This one's going to be a little bit tough. This one's going to be a little bit in our faces. But I want to be clear on this as a church. So let's dig into the text a little bit this morning. Philippians 3, verse 12. My version is just a little bit different than what you have on the screen. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, I just want to stop there and, and remind us that last week we talked about how Paul kind of gave us his resume, gave us his list of accomplishments, his, his list of achievements, and how if anyone had the right to brag, it was him. And then he said that famous quote or the, one of the more famous uh, Bible passages, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so we're picking up now. He, he's kind of turning a corner and he says this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. So here's Paul, Paul, the, the apostle Paul, the, the guy who, who we've talked about last week wrote almost half of the New Testament. This is Paul, and he's saying here, right in this text, um, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. So Paul knows that he's not perfect. So, so where does that put us? Where does that leave us? Of course, we're not perfect. I am not perfect. I am far from it. I have as many mistakes as anyone in this room. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Well, what is the it? To me, it seems like the it is salvation. It's the perfection that comes with salvation. When you, when you finally, at the, at the last day, when you cross over to the other side, you know, that, that perfect life, that perfect righteousness, that perfect way of living, you, know, you finally grab it. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Any soccer fans in here this morning? Okay, I'm glad that's only a couple of hands because I, I was going to bring a soccer fan up here and just kind of ridicule you uh, because, for one, I find it absolutely absurd that um, the United States men's soccer team, the national team, can be one in three and still make it into the final 16. I mean, that's absurd that you can, you can win one game, lose the next game, tie a game, and you're still playing for a spot in the finals. I think that's a little ridiculous. So, so if, you're, if you're a soccer player, you have to get that out of your mind because that's not the kind of goal, that's not the kind of prize that he's talking about you actually have a possibility of winning this thing. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's just a dig. I'm just not a soccer fan. I'm a football fan. So if I offended you, you can write it on your connection card and throw it away on your way out the door. <laughs> Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. We're going to come back to the first few verses at the end of the sermon this morning. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. What kind of a view? The one he just talked about, where he doesn't consider himself yet to have taken hold of it, but uh, pressing on, straining on toward what is ahead, kind of pursuing that, that righteousness, pursuing the salvation that we've talked about, how, how grace isn't something you just grab out of God's hand and run off and live your life how you want, but but we continue on, we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and, and he's talking about that. That's, that's what, what our view is supposed to be. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. 
There's just a little gem in here. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. How much time have we wasted in our lives arguing over trying to make things clear to one another when really we just need to seek God and let him make it clear to us? If if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. I want to stop here for just a minute because I think we, I think we, we miss some things when it comes to the lives that we're supposed to live. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What we have already attained. What is it that we have already attained? What we've already attained is, is the, you know, the, not just the, the amount of righteousness which we have received. It's not, it's not the righteousness we've received from Christ, because if that is what, we have, what he's talking about, then, then we would have to already live up to the perfect life of Jesus Christ. But what I think he's talking about is, is those things that we know we're supposed to be living up to, those things that, that we know, the kind of life that we're supposed to be living and we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but, but there is truth in God's word. So as you read through the Bible, as you read through the 66 books of the Bible, 40 different authors, different styles of, of literature, everything in there um, all talks about one thing, even though written over a span of, I think, 12 or 1,500 years. When you read through all of these books, when you read through all of these things, there are truths that we're supposed to pull out and supposed to arrange our lives around. So... So he says here, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Those things that you know you're supposed to do, those things that, that, that God has already made clear to you, the way you're supposed to live your life, do those. Those things that, that you know for sure you're supposed to be doing, the things that you're, you know you're supposed to be uh, building your life around, whatever those things are, whatever we've already attained, whatever we've already received in our understanding, do those things. Let us live up to those things. For sure we ought to be living up to those things. Verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. If you summarize that verse in one word, what would that word be? Throw a guess out. Humble. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. What does that sound like? Discipleship. Yes, it's walking humbly. It's, it's the, the three things we live, try to live as a church out of Micah 6.8. Doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. That's the kind of disciple we're trying to make. But but how do we make disciples? It's by setting an example, living our lives in such a way, you know, living up to what we've already attained, living up to those things that we already know. We, we do those things and we set an example for those who are around us and then those who are around us who aren't as mature as us in the faith, they can, they can set their lives on course because they can follow our example. 
So Paul is saying, join with the others in following my example, Paul, who was you know, a Pharisee, who was a, you know, one of Israel's leaders, and, and he knew the entire Old Testament law. And so he knew all of the law and how, how you were supposed to live. And then, and then he also knows now how we're supposed to live in the new covenant and the new relationship. He says, join with others and follow my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So when you see people around you who are doing it right, model your life after them. When you see people who are living like Christ, model your life after them. Verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. And it's the Lord, Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. This is the not fun part of the sermon. I'm not going to apologize for it because it's the truth. But it's not going to be easy to say nor easy to hear. But I fear that I have not yet made this point clear, and I want to make sure that, that this is one thing that is clear to us as a church. There's a verse that, that we like to talk about. It's, it's Romans, I think it's uh, Romans 5:28. It says, "While we were still sinners, Christ died for us." Um, other translations translate the, the word sinners there to enemies. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still on the other side, while we were still on the list, while we were still on the mortal enemies list, Christ died in our place. He, he died in our place. He paid the price for our sins. He covered our sinful nature, our sinful, disgusting selves with his righteousness. If, if we put our faith in him and we believe in the work that he did on that cross, not just with our minds, but with our hearts, with our entire being, if we, if we believe and we love the Lord, then, then we can receive that righteousness, we can receive that salvation. But, but here's the thing we have to understand. Here's the thing we have to walk out of here knowing this morning. There are people who don't make it. There, there are enemies of God. There are people who, who stand on the other side of the line. See, we live in a world where it's really popular to, to just assume that if you're good enough, you're going to make it. If you, if you kind of get close, if you, if you live your life in, in a close enough way to righteousness, if you do enough good, it's going to outweigh the bad. We live, we live in this world where, where we think we can, we can get close enough to that line where when it comes down to the time for us to cross over it, we can, we can maybe just reach out and grab it on our own strength and pull ourselves across. But that's not the truth. 
And as you've heard me say before, it doesn't matter what you think, truth still exists. We, we have uh, a lot of opinions swirling around us on a daily basis. We have a lot of people who think uh, a certain way, who think about a certain truth. But in the end, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what we know to be true from God's Word. Now, uh, we're doing our best to interpret the Word of God and, and apply it to our lives as best we can, but that does not mean that, that we are doing that perfectly. It does not mean that everything that I have said to you has been 100% absolute truth, that, that it's exactly how we're supposed to live. And that's why it's so important for each of us to have a habit of, of studying the Bible, of, of taking in the Word of God and internalizing it and, and having it be a part of our, of, our, of our heart, not just our mind, so that when we hear something that doesn't sound quite right, we have a filter to use to try to justify whether that is truth or not. But there is truth, and it is possible to be wrong. It is possible to have a wrong opinion. You know, we, we want to give everyone's uh, you know, opinion a voice. We want everyone to give, get their chance to speak up, to, to kind of speak what, what their truth is and to say what they think the right answer is. But it is possible to be wrong. It's possible for me to be wrong. It's possible for all of us in this room to be wrong. Uh, just because I think and I believe in my heart that there is a, a see-through shelf here off of this table that I can walk out onto and walk across and around this room without touching the floor does not make that true. And no matter how hard I believe that that is true, we all know that if I step off of the stage, I'm going to fall down to the lower level. Now, that seems like an absurd argument that seems uh, like like taking it to a ridiculous level, but, but in all of the world around us, there are those kinds of arguments being made. In all of the world around us, there are arguments being made about what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is not true, and we have gone so far, I, I feel and, and I'm afraid that we've gone so far down this road of relative truth that it's going to be hard to really bring all of us to an understanding of what a baseline of truth is. And I, that's probably why not very many pastors and churches talk about this idea anymore that there's a line and until you put your faith in Jesus Christ and step across it, believing him, we're still enemies of God. We don't want to believe that. That's not a fun thing to believe. We, we don't want to believe in the idea of a hell. We don't want to believe that we're sinners. We don't want to believe that without Christ that we, that we are we are hopeless and lost. We, we don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that. And I've said to you before, if, if I was God and I was coming up with this whole system, hell would be one of those things that I would do away with. Hell would be one of those things that I would love to cut out of the Bible. Because we all know people who have lived their lives, their entire lives, as enemies of God, enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't want to think that their destiny is destruction. We don't want to think that, that there's no hope for them apart from Jesus Christ. We, just, we want to hold on to maybe, just maybe. Maybe, it, maybe if they just do enough good, it's going to outweigh the bad.
But there is a line. There is truth. And even if you don't believe there is an absolute truth to be known, it does not make you right. The hard part of the argument is that because we have done so much to tear down the idea of truth, that it's really hard to make the statement that there is truth to be known because, well, that's just what's true for me. But if a bus is coming down the street and I decide to walk across in front of the bus believing that there is no bus, soon enough I will know what the truth is. Because as much as I want to believe that there is no bus, as soon as I step in front of that bus, I will be met with the truth. And yet they may sound like another absurd example, another absurd illustration, but are we not doing the same thing with so many things in our culture? Maybe you don't think so. Then maybe you will walk out of here and say, well, I just disagree. You have the freedom to disagree. But that does not make you right. That's not a fun thing to hear, I know. But I would rather make all of you mad at me and have you understand that there's a line that we have to cross. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive salvation to be covered in his righteousness. I would rather have you walk out of here mad at me for saying that than never say that to you and have you arrive at the end of your life, have you arrive at the point of judgment and have you stand there in front of Jesus Christ and like, the, like we heard about in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where we hear people standing literally in front of that judgment saying, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miraculous things in your name? Did, did we not cast out demons in your name? And then we stand, we look at the, at the, at the throne and Jesus looks back and says, I never knew you. See, I don't, I don't care if you like me. I care if you end up on the other side. So, this morning, if, if you're offended, if you're hurt, if it's because of the way that I presented it, that you can be mad at me about. But if you're offended at the truth of the statement then maybe it's just because you need to take another step towards that line. And this is what drives me. I hope this, is, this can become something that drives us as a church. And to be honest, I'm just going to be totally, completely straight up with you. I don't know how to deal with all of this stuff. You can talk to the staff. We've talked at, at length at, at, at many times that I don't know how to have these conversations. I don't know how to help someone on this journey. I don't know how to help someone who, who really believes that there is no absolute truth come to a point where they actually start to think that there is an absolute truth. I don't, I don't know 
how to, how to bring people back from the relative truth argument because once we've gone so far down that road, it's really hard to get people back because of that one phrase, well, that's just what's true for you. That's just what you believe. But this is something that, that, that drives me. This is something that, that, that I want to see us as a church make a difference in, in this community. For as, for as I have often told you before and now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. A few weeks ago, we all went out and walked around the community. We picked up trash, and some of us had conversations. Others, we just picked up trash. But all of us walked in front of hundreds of houses. All of us walked in front of, of houses that re- represented families, that represented lives, that represented eternal souls. And as, as we were walking around, you know, we, we were able to have conversations or at least say hi to probably 10 people or 10 people who were out working in their yards on Sunday and, and kind of doing the, the mowing and weeding and all of that stuff. And what I was struck by was not that, that they were out on a Sunday morning mowing their lawn. What I was struck by was how many of these people just have never heard? And we walked here. How many of these people have never heard about Jesus the way we understand the gospel? They've never heard the true gospel. Maybe they've heard what they think is the gospel according to other churches and other other denominations. But maybe they've never actually heard from someone who really tries to dig into the Bible and believe what the real gospel is, and yet they're right around the corner from us. We can walk there in five minutes, ten minutes. There are all these people that are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. I don't know how many of them are enemies. I don't know how many of them are are Christians, have put their faith in Christ and, and have not, but how many of them are living as enemies of the cross of Christ and they're just right around the corner from us? How many are living as enemies of the cross of Christ and you see them every day and I see them every day? How many are living as enemies of the cross of Christ and, and we sit across from them at a desk at work, we eat lunch with them at a lunch table, we talk with them at the water cooler? Why does our conversation never get to the most important thing whenever we're sitting down with them, whenever we're talking about what happened on TV on Sunday night? Why do we never get to the most important conversation we could have that, that their destiny is destruction? That would be a great a conversation starter. Hey, And I don't want to stand up here and pretend like this is an easy thing to do. I don't want to pretend like, like it's easy to get into these conversations with people. But, but here's the thing that I hope that, that motivates you. Let's go back to the first few verses. 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward 
in Christ Jesus. Earlier, Paul uh, said, said that phrase, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's hard to have these conversations, but, but if we live like Christ in front of people, oftentimes we've already primed the prompt for them to ask the question of us, why do you live the way you live? And it doesn't necessarily require a theological debate. It does not require you to memorize the four spiritual laws. It does not require you to memorize the entire book of Philippians or John or the entire New Testament, however much of an overachiever you are. It does not require any of those things. What it requires is for you to do and to live your life in such a way that they notice Christ in your life. That means when, when you have the opportunity to serve them, you serve them. When you have the opportunity to care for them, you care for them. When you have the opportunity to love them, you love them. When you have the opportunity to do something small but good, you do it. You love them in these small ways. You, you do good deeds for them in these small ways. And by, by doing these things, your light is shining. These are the good deeds that we do before men. It's not coming and gathering together on a Sunday morning during church. This is not our good deed. Our good deed is what we do in the hearts and lives of people during the week. And it's not just helping the elderly lady across the street. It's opening doors. It's paying for the groceries of the person behind you. It's paying for the Starbucks of the car behind you. It's paying for <coughs> gas of the next person that comes. It's making a plate of cookies for the neighbor that you've never met. It's buying lunch for your coworker. It's raking the leaves of of someone in your neighborhood without them knowing, without getting their permission, that might be a risk for some of you, uh, just getting over there, raking the leaves and running. And, you know. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Let's live up to what we know. Let's live up to, to the truth that we understand, the truth that we have in our lives already, the truth that has already been put before us. Let's Let's become mature in our walk with Jesus Christ. And if on some point we think differently, that too God will make clear to you. But let's not let the way we think differently be the thing that holds us back from reaching people. Let's not let the thing that, that is different in our minds from how what I have said this morning and the things that I've, that I've said about standing on the other side, let's not let those be the things that keep us from reaching people, but let's be mature. Let's press on to take hold of that for which, what Christ Jesus has uh, taken hold of us and let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us live our lives in such a way that people see Jesus in us. Because if we don't, the world will never see, the world will never know, the world will never hear. There are people in your life that don't know Jesus. There are people in your life that may never know Jesus if you don't be Jesus to them. If some of this is hard to take, if some of this is hard to digest, if you, if you need to talk about this a little more, I'm free to talk with you about it. But I just kind of want to close with one more, one more idea, one more statement about truth. I'm not talking about any specific issue this morning, although there will come a time for that. But God has laid the foundation for the world. 
God has, has laid not just the, the literal foundation that we stand on today, not just the foundation that our houses are built on, not, not just the foundation for the world that we can see with our eyes, but God created this world with, with, a, with a, a wisdom in mind. He created this world with an order. He created this world with, with rules for how we should live, how we should function, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. He created that at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and then they chose, they chose that, that they wanted to become like God, that they wanted to know all of good and evil. They chose that they did not trust God who had created them in this way, and then from that point on, we have all made the same decision. We have all made the same choice and walked away from God in the same way. But that does not change the fact that God created this world with a way of working. God created a system for our lives. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see this over and over again, how wisdom is the foundation of the world. And because truth is under attack, and I would say even uh, been under attack for probably 20, 30 years, maybe longer. It's hard to have conversations about how God meant the world to run. It's hard to have conversations about the foundation that our lives are supposed to be built on. But the instant, the moment that we look at something in the word that God has written and revealed to us and we decide that that cannot be true of God, we have put ourselves above God. As soon as we look and read God's word and we use our own faulty, fallen logic and understanding to define what truth actually is according to what we think truth is, we have placed ourselves above God, we think we know what good and evil is and that God is wrong. I think we will be sorely disappointed. So I would just encourage you that maybe, I haven't said anything specific, but maybe there's an issue that you're dealing with this morning and, and you've been struggling with it for a long time. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I just, you know, maybe God is bringing it to your mind right now, whatever that issue may be. First, let me say the fact that you struggle with an issue does not make you unacceptable to God. It does not make you uh, somebody that will never be able to receive God's grace. That makes you human, just like all of us in this room are human. We all have our stuff that we deal with. None of us have our rubbish together. But whatever that issue is, maybe, maybe you've found a justification for it. Maybe you have found a reason why you think that that is now okay. Because the world around us has given us these justifications. The world around us has given us these reasons. The world around us has, has given us the justification that we need to say, I don't need to work on that. That's fine with me. God's just going to have to accept that. Whatever that issue might be, I would encourage you with the words of Paul, forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Forget what is behind and, and strain toward what is ahead. You see, 
There's all of this stuff that all of us deal with. There are all of these issues that all of us have in our lives, but that's the behind. Just because we're dealing with them now and we may deal with them tomorrow and we may deal with them in our future does not mean that that is what is ahead for us. That, that's what's behind of us, and we need to continue to try to reach and to press and to strain on toward what is ahead. If you found a justification, if you found some way to get around the truth of whatever that issue is, then come back to the truth this morning. Because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I could even argue it's going to be a hard time receiving grace if we're not willing to accept the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word that you've given to us. I thank you that you have revealed so much about this life to us in these 66 different books. I ask for forgiveness in the areas that I have not lived up to them that I'm aware of. And Father, I pray that you would help me to live up to them more and more each day, to strain towards what is ahead, to strain towards the righteousness of your Son, to strain toward the future that you have for me, and to lay down what is behind. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who is struggling with these words, struggling with even just the idea of truth, I pray that you would show and reveal to them exactly what they need to know to know how they need to live when they walk out these doors. I pray that you would speak to their heart. I pray that you would speak to their mind. I pray that you would speak to their entire being the truth of your word and that where they don't know what to do, that they would look around and they would see the examples of the people here in this body who are a little further down the road from them and they would follow their example as we follow the example of Christ. And for any of us who are here who have never stepped across that line of faith, any of us who are here who have never put our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who have never put our faith that, that he is the one who covers our sin, that he is the one who paid the price for our sin, and that where he died, I should have died, but he died in my place so that I could receive grace, that, that we would take our, take our heart and our mind across that line and that we would put our faith in the saving work and the atoning work of what Jesus Christ did on that cross and that we would live our lives pursuing it from this point on. But wherever we are, Father, I pray that we would press on. Wherever we are, I pray that you would give us the strength and the grace to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward, that we would not give up, that we would not take it easy, that we would not sit back in the fight, that we would not call it quits because it's just too hard, but that every day we would take another step forward, even if we've taken two steps back that day, that we, would, that we would take another step forward toward the goal for which we've called, been called heavenward in Christ Jesus, that, that someday we may reach the end and find salvation waiting. And Father, let it be all for your glory. Let it all be for your kingdom, let it be for making your name known. Let it be because we are so amazed at this grace that we shine this light, that we press on and strain toward what is ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.